Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 34th episode. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone's doing all right. Um, depending on where you're at right now, I guess the temperature, I mean the temperature in general is pretty crazy around the world. Yeah, we're in like an Arctic freeze. I would say so. Here. Well, no, 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 there's a word for it. Do you remember the word? No. Bombogenesis. Bombogenesis, whatever, it sucks. <laughs> it definitely sucks. But then we have friends in Australia telling us it's reaching like 114 degrees Fahrenheit. Some like 45, 46 degrees Celsius. I don't know. It's crazy. But here it has dropped to be, I think, like negative 23 Celsius. Mm hmm. Which it's, is cold. It's cold. It's freaking that's, cold. That's all. Wait, it's okay. Just real so cold. But yeah, it's going to be warming up this week. And, uh, you know, aside from the, the weather being crazy, we got some crazy stuff going on over here. We're going through some major changes, like serious, serious changes. We have decided to close our supplement shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a difficult decision because we've had it open for about nine years now. And, uh, you know, it was a service that I feel like was very important and, and that the community really needed. And at this point, it's, uh, it's bittersweet, but it's also a celebration of sorts, you know, because, you know, you can find vegan supplements just about anywhere now. And we, when we opened up our store, it was, it was damn near impossible to even find pea protein. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's something that I think that, you know, we've seen happen over the years and, you know, now it's time to, to, you know, continue to get back into the community and, uh, and connect, you know, doing what we love to do the most, uh, you know, and this will give us more time to do podcasts and to create content and resources. Like, I don't know about you, Dane, but I have so much that I just, I want to share and I just feel like, you know, there's never enough time or energy in the day, but, um, you know, by not by not running the the supplement shop, I think we're going to have a chance to to do that and really share our thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the supplement store has been a really really cool thing, and I'm really glad that we did it. And I do think that we were able to make like vegan supplements just more accessible to more people, and that has been really really cool. And also, just it's been fun, like having a store and like having a warehouse full of vegan proteins and supplements and, and shipping them out and knowing that they're going like right into like actual people's hands, people, many of whom we've met at a lot of veg fests across the country and things like that. So it is on one hand sad to be shutting it down, but on the other hand, it's, I'm actually really, really excited because my heart just isn't in supplements and like owning a supplement store the way that it was five or six years ago when that felt very important that the vegan protein store exists and now it feels less important where people can just go into almost any store and find similar items or go mm -hmm. onto Amazon and find the same stuff for the same price because there's no way we could ever compete with Amazon or iHerb or anything like that. So let's take our time and energy and focus it on coaching and putting out quality content for people, uh, including this podcast, which we've gotten so much good feedback on this podcast, but uh, not the biggest surprise to most of you. The biggest piece of criticism we've gotten is that there's just not enough episodes and that they're not consistently put out. 
And by eliminating the supplement store, I think, no, I'm certain we're going to be able to put out content more frequently and hopefully um, more consistently as well. So yeah, really excited about being able to have more podcast content, hopefully more like blogs and articles. And also Giacomo is going to be a full-time coach now as well. So I'm excited to, you know, have him uh, alongside me fighting the good fight in terms of uh, vegan coaching. Yeah, I mean, I've been dipping my toes in the water for the past couple of years and working alongside with you. And I've had a handful of my own clients and uh, I, I've gotten to really thoroughly enjoy working with people one-on-one and building that relationship with them and figuring out what does and doesn't work for their lifestyle and just seeing them, helping them reach their, their goals and realize their potential. To me, it's been a very rewarding experience and I'm looking forward to doing that full time basically and helping more people. Yeah. So we say this every episode, but honest and truly, if you have questions about anything pertaining to fitness or nutrition or just veganism or lifestyle or anything like that, please let us know what they are. Um, you can pretty much reach us anywhere online. We are seriously considering opening up a Facebook group specifically for the listeners of this podcast so that we can have more open discussion with with a, with a smaller niche of the vegan fitness community, um, because obviously there's vegan fitness and there's even vegan bodybuilding and that's, you know, smaller than regular non-vegan bodybuilding, but because it is a pretty niche community, I think, that would be interested in the content of this podcast. It's not just vegan fitness. It's not even just vegan bodybuilding, which is already a niche community in, in and of itself, but it's like a very evidence- and logic-based approach to vegan bodybuilding and strength sports. And uh, I think a pretty balanced approach without a lot of fluff, mm. I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and just we really appreciate the people who do tune into this podcast and who have reached out to us. So thank you. It is because of you guys asking us. Um, for more content that we were confidently able to make the decision to close the supplement store. So thank you guys for helping us make a really big decision here. And uh, yeah, you'll be hearing more from us. So what we're here to talk about today is, you know, our fitness goals for 2018, more specifically Danny's contest prep. I mean, geez, it, this has been a long time coming. I mean, how long was your off season? It was 34. Four months. Like so just that. under three years, oh. actually. Well, there was supposed to be a contest prep starting at the beginning of 2017. Um, we tried that out for a few weeks. It did not go well. And I said, nope, I'm, my body isn't ready for this. So we, continued. so we continued to build for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How was that shifting in and out of contest prep last year? Last year, it didn't feel right. Like I felt like I was doing, moving into a contest prep because I had said I was going to. Like I said I was going to compete in 2017 and I wanted to compete in 2017 with Plant Built. Um, and when I started cutting, I would say probably about three weeks into it, I could tell my body just wasn't responding the way that it typically responded. And also the progress photos that I were ta was taking, they just didn't look right. 
There's no other way to put it. They just didn't look right. And just by looking at the pictures and seeing the type of progress I was getting, even just three weeks into a cut, um, I knew relatively quickly, like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, so it's kind of like no matter how perfectly you set things up on paper, you know, when it comes time to take action, if things don't look the way that they do, you have to make that veteran decision to lay off the prep and then you just dip back into the offseason until the timing is right, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of other factors that go into whether or not you decide to pull the plug on a contest prep. Um, but for me, it was pretty clear straight away that it wasn't going to go the way I planned. And could I have, like, pushed through and competed in 2017 anyway? Like, probably. But I just would not have looked the way I wanted to look. And that would have been a waste it would have been a waste of two years of an off season. Exactly. So I would rather have an extra, you know, year or so, even if it meant I didn't get to compete alongside plant built last year, that was okay because I made my most successful gains of this off season in the last year. So, yeah. And I have to stress that point again. I, I really admire your, um, your ability to pull out of a prep. Cause I, I don't know that I would have been able to myself, like, I think I feel like I would have gotten laser-like focus on it. I just would have did it for better or for worse. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about this sport is that once you're not new to the game anymore, once you have like your first two seasons in and you can, you know, put your best body composition forward with the package that you have before like gains diminish exponentially, like you have to as a natty athlete at least. Not you know, as a natty athlete, you have to spend the majority of your time building. You have to do it for years. Yeah. Years. I think that's true. And I think, I think that this is really hard for me because, you know, most of the people who come to me for coaching, like want to compete. That's what are your goals? One of them is often like, I want to compete or my favorite. I want to look like I compete, but I don't actually want to compete, which we could do a whole podcast on that quote right there. Mm. Um, but, um, a lot of people want to compete. And then when we look at what they've been doing in the last year or so, um, most people are just not in a good position to do a competition prep in the first place, um, just on paper. And then you look at the way I went to start my competition prep last year and on paper, everything looked pretty good on paper, but in actuality, just the stress life stresses that happened in 2016, um, I think all kind of compounded, and I don't think we really take that into account enough in terms of what it does to our physiques. And even though my nutrition, my training all looked beautiful on paper, um, something was off. And that's what I think it was. And something as little as that can be the wrench in the works. But you just have to recognize it before you kind of go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I feel like especially newcomers to the game, it's until you really go through the experience of at least one and honestly more than one contest prep, it's hard to really understand the importance of setting up an off season. So it's like, you know, one part of me wants to to put the fault on, on the client and be like, hey, you got to be patient. Like, you have to trust the process and understand like this off season needs to be set up. But then the other part of me is like, well, how the hell could they possibly know? They've never been through it. So it's kind of like 
a double-edged sword when someone is all gun-ho and you know that they can go through a prep because it's like you almost need to give them the experience for them to understand. I, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I think a lot of times, especially a first-time competitor, you could lay everything out for them. Like, you could draw a perfect sort of treasure map to the stage and um, they're not going to like what that is. And they're going to be like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Because they're so excited and so motivated. And I have a lot of respect for that. Like, we've all been there. We've all been there and done the stupid thing because we wanted to compete. Um, most of us ended up paying at least some price for that. Um, but I think that's kind of the growing pains of competing. And if I can help somebody get through a maybe not completely ideal prep a little bit better than they would have on their own, then that's a good thing. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been doing this for a while and, you know, now it's time to start your contest prep and, and you, you know, you realize the timing was right. So, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit more about what brought you to that decision? Like, how did you figure out that this would be the start of your prep? Uh, one of the main things, one of the main, few things actually, uh, one of the main things was that I started to actually be sick of food. And if anybody knows me, it is, that's quite the challenge for me to be sick of food. I kind of get made fun of for how much I like food. Um, and I'm sure some people can relate to this. So if I'm at the point where like, it becomes a little bit of a struggle to get all my food in by the end of every day. Um, and this is gonna be different for everybody because some people just have a hard time eating no matter what, but that's not me. So when I get to the point where it's like the end of the day and I'm like, ugh, I still have so much left to eat. That to me is a little bit of like a, okay, well mentally at least you're ready for this because you're kind of sick of food right now. Um, so that was part of it. Um, the other part of it was that my photos were looking pretty good, actually. I liked the way they were looking, and it's, it's very hard to look at off-season pictures and tell if you made progress, especially um, for me, who's not like a particularly lean person <laughs> um, in terms of bodybuilding anyway. Like some off-season bodybuilders look like fitness models all the time, and I'm not one of those people. So it could be hard to tell if I made progress with pictures, but I was starting to see like fullness in places that I really wanted to see. The overall shape was still there. Performance in the gym was going pretty well, um, considering a couple of life events that happened over the summer. Um, my dad passed away and then I got Lyme disease immediately after. So that kind of knocked me out of training completely for somewhere between six and eight weeks. Um, so to lose that at like right when all my momentum was like really, really going strong, I thought that I was screwed, actually. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, there goes another year I'm going to have to do this. But then once I was able to start training again, the pictures were still looking good and I was able to re-pick up steam again pretty quickly. Um, one thing we didn't mention here is that in the beginning of November, I got a like level three ankle sprain. Oh yeah, there's I don't that. think we've ever mentioned that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I sprained my ankle pretty badly mm. at the end of November. Yeah. So that really, really took the wind out of my sails and made me question like, shit, should I start a contest prep in eight weeks? Like now that I can't walk on my own. Um, 
and I kind of like put the pause button on it in my mind um, and I just you know started physical therapy on my ankle and did all the right things to heal it up as quickly as I could trained around it in every way that I could like I did not stop training at all when I sprained my ankle I just did different things that didn't affect my ankle and now uh, my ankle is about 90% I can do almost everything with my ankle again um, I lost some strength but I kept my muscle size because of the way I structured my training while I was injured allowed me to not lose mass which is awesome so those things all combined like pictures looked good food cal calorie intake was pretty high and I was sick of food and I had a decent amount of momentum going in the gym um, and the way my 2018 is laid out this is a better year to compete than 2019 and because I'm I will not compete every year um, this, yeah. this just made the most sense yeah of course and I think some, something I was thinking of when you were saying how you get sick of food I actually have proof of that I I recorded you saying mm -hmm. Just how disgusted and sick of food you were and that you couldn't stand to eat another bite of anything <laughs> because I, you know, I know that your hunger signals or anyone's for that matter can get very sensitive and will when you're on contest prep. So I'm just going to play that little bit for you to yep. remind you <laughs> as you're going through Oh, it. I know. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm a week and a half in and I'm already hungry. So <laughs> I was like day one hungry. I was like, oh boy. No, that's <laughs> just not true. kidding. But um, I think the other thing that you didn't mention um, that, that I, th I think is worth noting is, you know, not only did you do what you needed to do physically, but you kept your head in the game. And there's something to be said for that. I think the, the psychological component is something that people don't really think about all too much. And how psychological I'm, component of what? The psychological component of, of basically, you know, being mentally prepared to to get through your train you know to get through your training successfully to set up your nutrition successfully you know to put yourself in a position where you know you're going to be in a in a positive place where you're just not going to be second guessing yourself and stressing yourself out because that stress will eat you up and you'll wear that on your physique you know what I mean mm -hmm. to some extent mm -hmm. and it can it could could like literally derail your prep. Like, for example, yeah, you got that level three sprain and, you know, someone who was, uh, who let that get to them, I mean, it could have completely set them back um, with being able to train around it, you know, because if you're not, well, I'll, I'll take myself for an example. I, I had my first setback as a powerlifter three months ago and I'm just now being able to train and like feel good about it. You know, I feel like I got one of my legs chopped off because it's like squat, bench and dead can't deadlift without being in pain. I got this goal. What do I do now? You know, it's a totally different realm than bodybuilding. The bodybuilding, you could train on everything. Um, I let that get the better of me. And for like, for three months, yeah, I was in like physical pain from my injury, but like I wasn't with it mentally and it affected my training big time. But you, on the other hand, you had an injury that made it so like you couldn't really train on anything with your lower body. But I, I distinctly remember you saying like, I am not going to let this shit get me down. This is not going to ruin my day. I'm going to do this. And yeah. you did. Well, it was pretty hard to get as amped up about leg extensions as I get over squats and RDLs and even pendlay rows and seated cable rows I couldn't do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, when I have a goal, I just do it. 
I just do it. And that's why I don't, I don't really, I have a hard time relating to people that get too much in their own heads that they can't do stuff because if I say I'm going to do something, I just do it. Yeah. I don't know. Right then and there. And I think that's what got you to start in your prep. So um, I would imagine that this prep must be laid out differently than previous ones. Like what kind of things did you learn um, like mentally and physically from your previous preps? And, you know, what, what are you going to do the same? What are you going to do different this time so, around? So first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to my own coach, Alberto Nunez of Team 3DMJ. Um, I've been working with him for uh, like 15 or 16 months or so now, 15 months. And um, just phenomenal, just phenomenal coaching in like every way. And I already knew that I liked him and I liked his content and I love 3DMJ's content. Um, but there's always a little bit of hesitancy when, I th when you start working with a new coach because a lot of coaches put one image out there and then once you start working with them, it's a completely different story and you're lucky to get like a couple sentences in an email from them. Um, and you're basically just paying to work with some big name so-and-so. Um, so when I did sign up and start working with Birdo, I was a little bit hesitant of how it was gonna go and it has just been like the most refreshing coaching experience ever it made me feel so much better about the industry as a whole like holy shit there are other good people out there thank god um and also just made me feel a lot better even in my own coaching practice to be like no i'm not crazy this is a level of communication that you can give to people um anyway just a huge shout out there so we uh discussed all kinds of things about this contest prep and if it was a good time to do it and um, how we were going to structure it and some of my uh, issues that I've had in past competition preps. So some of the problems that I've had in past competition preps, things that I didn't much care for, um, would be let's see certain things. I mean, we could talk. Do we want to talk training or nutrition or pick one? I'll start there. Narrow it down. I mean. Personally, I'm, I'm more curious to hear about nutrition and what you're okay. doing differently there. So nutritionally, it's going to be very, very different, I think. So it's still flexible dieting in the sense that like I will be given macros and I will find ways to fit those macros. Um, there will still be low days and refeed days. This is These things are similar mm -hmm. to my last prep. Things that will be very, very different is that just in our brief stint of dieting at the beginning of 2017, which was a failure, um, we very quickly learned that I retain water um, pretty intensely when I start dieting. Um, after dieting for like three or four days, I start to retain water, like several pounds of water. Um, and that is, it makes it impossible to see what the hell is really going on. So that is why, obviously, we're keeping in the refeed days. But unlike in past preps, my refeed days are going to be consecutive refeed days. And they're, I'm putting them on rest days so that I really get as much recovery benefit from them as possible. Whereas in the past, I would have put my, I would have spaced my refeed days out on my heaviest training days. So like yeah. squat or deadlift days. And now I'm putting them on rest days and going to try to recover as much as I can and hopefully get some water retention out of me on those days. Um, but the biggest thing is because of this water retention, 
because I'm not the best fat loser in the world, um, we are actually going to be doing frequent and long diet breaks. Um, so what a diet break is typically it's a week, maybe two weeks where you literally take a break from the dieting, take a break from the deficit and eat at maintenance. Um, and we are going to be doing it every six weeks of dieting, which will still include the repeat days, but every six weeks of dieting, we will do three weeks of diet break. So that's quite a ratio. Um, that is literally spending 50% of my time not in the deficit. And there's several reasons for that. One, mm -hmm. the water retention, getting mm -hmm. it out and seeing what we look like. And from past preps, uh, and a lot of people will say this to be true, after they compete, once they start adding calories back in, they look better, they look better and they continue to drop weight, right. which is usually water mm -hmm. weight that they're mm -hmm. dropping, but also they look better. Their muscles look fuller. They actually look like they lift. Um, and it's very, very important to me that I still look like I lift at the end of this and I don't just look scrawny. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people think it's a leanness competition, but there's so much more to it than that. You could be the most shredded person up there, but if you are flat as a pancake and look like you can't squat your body weight, you're probably not gonna do very well. Mm. Um, so trying to make sure that we do everything in our power to retain muscle and also continue to look strong and healthy and fit. So spending, you're still spending a fair amount of time in a deficit. It's just spread out over several months instead of cramming it into 12 weeks where you kind of look like shit at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So that is the general overview of nutritionally how we're going to be approaching this. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty exciting, actually. I, I like the idea of having the extended diet break and sort of like really telling your body like, hey, we're not joking, we're not trying to trick you. Like, there is more food coming, so you could just chill for a little bit and then we'll yeah. just throw a curveball your way and then we can drop some Yeah, more. and I've never done that with a client before. Mm -hmm. I do diet breaks with people, but it's usually a week. Like a week every six to eight weeks. Yeah. So six to eight weeks in a diet, we give you a week of a diet break. Like this six to three ratio, like I'm a little nervous about it because I know I'm not the best loser in the mm -hmm. world. Um, but I also didn't pick a show for this particular reason. Was that right. one of your questions? <laughs> uh, it's something I was thinking about actually, the fact that this is more of an open-ended prep. Yes. It's very open-ended because we're lucky to live in a part of the country where there's a lot of really good shows from April all the way through November. Yeah. So I'm just starting prepping at the beginning of the year. And when I look right, I'll be able to jump in and do a show that's within driving distance mm -hmm. almost, almost any weekend that I want to. Um, so I'm guessing, guessing that that's gonna be late summer um, is probably when that's gonna, when I'm gonna start to look right is probably gonna be around July or maybe August. Yeah, and I, and I can understand, like, the, you know, being nervous about, like, the 6 to 3 diet to diet break ratio. Um, I understand the apprehension of that, but if you think about it, too, like, the, the, the 6 weeks worth of dieting are way more aggressive. So, like, the 9-week the nine, the nine caloric average is still kind of the same. You're just spreading it out in a different well, way. I don't know 
if it's going to stay this aggressive. Mm. Like, it's this is the most aggressive I've ever started a prep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if it's going to stay that aggressive all... Like, previously, you would start a prep kind of moderately and just keep hacking away at calories. And I'm sure that will happen to a degree, but maybe... Whereas in previous preps, the difference between where I started my calories and ended my calories was maybe 600 calories a day. Whereas maybe now it'll be like the two, a difference of 200 calories a day. Yeah. So it would just mean that we were starting probably in a better place. So That's true. And I guess the other thing I'm thinking about is like with this kind of split, you really got to give yourself time to prep. Because with like a six to three ratio, you're looking at a minimum of an 18 week minimum prep. I know like... We don't really want to quantify it. And when you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. But like to just really get down to it, because if like someone else was using this as a model for themselves, or just thinking about it, like you you'd need to have eighteen, preferably twenty seven weeks of prep, and potentially more if you really want to look. But I right. think more people should be doing that anyway. Yeah. I think way too many people are trying to jump into a show with 12 weeks or less to do it. I mean, we get inquiries frequently Mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, I'm competing in six weeks. Can you help me? And I'm like, Whoa, what? Mm -hmm. Like, sorry. Yeah. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I wish that more people would spend more time on their competition prep because I think that you're able to keep your head about you a lot better in a longer prep and a longer, slower prep. Um, that's more strategically planned. Well, I mean, yeah, but the long game is also a patient one. I mean, it's not, you know, you don't get the instant gratification. You also, like, you have to, like, suffer for longer, kind of, in a way, you know, to get your reward. Um, Whereas opposed, I mean, there's also, like, a lot of deep, there's still some deep roots in, like, the whole, you know, 8 to 16 week kind of prep style of getting to a show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, that that is changing, but it's still there. And, and I think people just, you know, they, they decide they want to do it and they do it. Well, I think that that, like, whole 12-week prep mentality, it, it's it's of a different era mm-hmm. at this point. Um, you know, the NPC, the IFBB, I don't know a lot about it because I'm just not that interested in geared bodybuilding in general. So I'm not talking about that. I will talk about natural bodybuilding and the levels of conditioning that these guys and gals are reaching these days even five years ago, was nothing like it is now. If you want to compete and compete well, the level of conditioning that you need is damn insane. Uh, Definitely in figure up, but even in bikini. The girls that are killing it in bikini, look at Natalie Matthews. Like, her conditioning is amazing, amazing. And you don't do that. You can't do that in 12 weeks unless you're like a genetic freak. Mm-hmm. And most of us aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just need a longer time if you want to be competitive. Yeah. So hopefully like the word's getting out there. You know what I mean? Because the people that don't take the time to do it are going to get crushed. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, you know, and, and I know, we're, I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But one other thing that I was curious about that I don't even really know exactly what your plans are but knowing you you have a plan do you, what are you thinking like exit strategy wise exit strategy wise knew it <laughs> i can see you look in your face like <laughs> i'm funny you should ask that i know all exactly right. what i want <laughs> recovery diet uh-huh. all the way uh-huh. so we have a whole podcast first we have a podcast on reverse dieting yeah. from like a couple years ago 
Then we have a podcast where we revisit the idea of the reverse diet and how much my stance has changed on it. And I am not pro reverse diet anymore. I don't think it's smart. In fact, the more I think about it, the stupider I think it is. Like, unless you're an ectomorph, in which case, stop being terrified of food because you can get away with eating more and staying lean anyway. But unless you're an ectomorph, it, it literally makes no sense to try and stay that lean. It just doesn't. Like, I'm totally down for staying in striking distance of your contest weight, which for me is uh, usually around 125. So I start to get kind of uncomfortable above 140. So I would like to stay 140 or under um, for my own personal goals. Uh, but whether it takes me a month to get to 135 or five months to get to 135, I'm going to get to 135. Now I can waste that time not eating enough or I can just fucking get there and have a productive off season and start to be strong and feel better again. So yeah, recovery diet all the way, 100% pro recovery diet. And you just have to accept that you're gonna get, you know, I'm gonna lose 20-ish pounds to compete and then I'm gonna gain 10 of it back as quickly as I can. Yeah, I guess the so. <laughs> the philosophy with like being okay with it, the gain can can be a little challenging, but if you accept the fact that, you know, you're going to gain you're going to gain that weight and uh you're going to get there sooner knowing full well that it, it's not going to look the way that it will uh, the way that you want it to look on your body right away, but it will look better eventually. Mm-hmm. Then I think you'll be, you know, it's it's sort of like it's a sitting and waiting game. So you get to that, you know, you regain the weight right away. And then you sort of just hang out there and let your body recomp over time, knowing yeah. full well that, yeah, maybe you might say, oh, no, I'm in this whatever weight range, and, I f- and this is a shitty weight range to be. And it's like, no, I'm in this weight range right away. I feel strong. I feel good. I have lots of energy. And I'm going to stay in this weight range in six to nine months from now. I'm going to look awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And have made more, more progress throughout because you're there longer. I'm not thinking too, too much about the exit strategy right now because at this point in my life, it feels kind of like a no-brainer to me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, right on. So I remember the, I mean, the last time we, we prepped together at the same time, actually. It's a little weird for me that you're prepping and I'm not. I, it's a little weird for me that I'm prepping and you're going to gain 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like there's advantages and disadvantages. At least, you know, we you, we can keep the focus on your prep being successful. And and I feel like prep makes someone disciplined and we can sort of feed off each other like that. So, like, when you're when I'm prepping and you're not, you could feed off my discipline and vice versa. So, like, we can be swole mates in unison year after year, I guess. Um, but not to, go on a, not to go off tangent here, um, last time around we were prepping together... Um, I feel like we were both doing a little more of like an IIFYM style flexible dieting approach, meaning that we kind of strung together whatever foods we wanted to hit our macros and almost made it a game. Yeah, uh, to a degree we did. You more so than I, because you just had more macros to play with. But yeah, it was very um, much more literally if it fits your macros in my previous prep than it was than it will be this time. And uh, what do I mean by that? I would spend a lot of time um, sort of tetrising 
weird macro Frankenstein creations together to fit my crappy macros. Um, and I would spend a lot of time doing that in the last prep. And it's okay because I do think that there's a lot that a lot of very like bro centric people could learn by making weird macro creations and getting super ripped. Like it's good to know that, yeah, you can get really ripped on food that is made mostly of chemicals and eating ice cream, uh, you know, once a day and whatever. It's like an interesting experiment and it's good to learn. Um, but by the end of it, unsurprisingly, I didn't feel so great. Um, and you don't feel so great at the end of a contest prep anyway. So I don't really want to add to it by overdoing the chemical foods, like the diet drinks and stuff like that. I'm not saying I'm not going to use them. I'm certainly going to utilize them, but I'm not gonna use them as much as I did before. And the way that I'm going to avoid having food take up so much of my headspace this prep mm-hmm. um, is that I am going to meal prep and sort of menu plan all of my low days, um, probably some of my high days, but definitely all of my low days. For example, my starting macros on my low days, which disclaimer, I don't ever talk about specific macronutrients on this podcast because I don't want people to be like, oh, that's what she's doing. That's what I'm going to do because it doesn't make sense. So Mm -hmm. please don't just take these numbers and try to run with them because it won't work. Um, But my starting macros on my low days are 100 grams of carbs, 45 grams of fat, and 130 protein. Now that is very low. That is very aggressive. That's about 1350 calories on my low days. And if I were to sit there and think every day, what can I have that I can fit into this day? That would take up so much time in my head because those are not easy numbers to work with. But rather I take one day on the weekend, come up with a menu for the day that fits those numbers, prep that for the week, And then I don't have to think about it at all Monday through Friday. I just eat what's already prepped and know that I hit my macros by the end of the day. Um, Again, it's only, I only have a week under my belt, but I already felt so much better doing this last week than I did trying to like wing it every single day, which is what I do in the off season. I wing it Mm -hmm. every single day, what I'm going to eat to fit my macros by the end of the day. Um, but I don't want to do that in prep because I know that although it starts with not taking up a ton of your headspace, by the end of a prep, you can literally be spending several hours a day thinking about making and eating food, which is interesting because it's the least food probably that you'll eat in your adult life and you're spending the most time on it mentally. Well, yeah, I mean, becoming food-focused when your hunger is... um your hunger signals are just off the charts is such an easy thing to do. And, you know, truthfully speaking, whether you like it or not, you're going to be more food focused when you're fucking starving. Yeah. But you don't want to, you don't want to have to fuel that beast any more than you need to. And like getting hung up on, on a whole bunch of numbers and trying to tie them together to make random creations. Yeah. Trying to make mug cakes and stuff. I don't need to think about that. I'll just eat my tofu and broccoli and my super bro foods to fit my numbers. Like when I'm drawing the menu out, I'm making sure like, all right, that's going to be filling. That's going to be satisfying. Those foods are pretty good, but they're not like 
hyper palatable foods. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming out of the gate with a bunch of sugar-free stuff. You delay it as long as possible. Absolutely. It'll not... happen towards the end, most likely, but you delay it as long as possible. And it doesn't hurt to be focused on getting in more micronutrients as well. And then yeah. obviously with whole foods, that's going to be happening. And it's very easy to take the focus. <laughs> Did I just say that? Take the yeah. focus? <laughs> it's very easy to take the focus off of whole foods when you're making creations with a very limited macro budget. Um, and that that slippery slope can you can go down that rabbit hole real fast yeah and i'm just not interested in doing that this time Mm. that's all i'm just not interested like i know how to use those tools when and if i need them but i don't even want to think about them until i do yeah so yeah right on this weird meal plan flexible dieting hybrid is what i'll be uh leaning on for the majority of this prep yeah and i mean i you know where you'll be losing out on on these weird ass cravings filling some sort of a, a void and not being able to eat as as much as you need to keep full like you'll gain from feeling good from eating foods that are more nutritious well the other thing that i'm doing on my low days which i guess i haven't even mentioned it to you although you must have noticed since we uh live together and all maybe is that i'm not eating my first meal until one o'clock hmm on my low days, I'm not having my, so I'm waking up around nine o'clock in the morning and then I'm not, I'm having a cup of coffee when I wake up, but I'm not eating my first meal until one. So here's a question. Are you, are you at your desk the whole time? Are you walking? Like what, what cause obviously without eating till one, you're not going to be moving as much naturally. So most, what do you choose most, to do? Mostly I'm at my desk yeah. at, during those hours. Yeah. I mean, okay. if I have like, a, like I've had physical therapy for my ankle this week. So, I mean, I can do that on an empty stomach. True. But I just find, you know, the macros that I mentioned, they are not easy to work with. So if I can put them in an eight-hour window, um, I just feel a little bit fuller. So is that intermittent fasting? I guess it kind of is, but I'm not calling it that. It just seems like common sense to me right right now for my dieting purposes. Like if I try to spread 100 grams of carbohydrates and 45 grams of fat out over 16 hours, I'm going to get to eat like... (laughs) Nothing. Two almonds a meal for yeah. your meals. <laughs> yeah, and, but if I spread it in four meals over eight hours, yeah, then it's much more satisfying. I don't want to say it's super satisfying, but it's a lot more satisfying, and I'm not really doing anything until we go to train anyway, yeah. so I just eat before I train. Yeah, it's doable. And I mean, who doesn't like some food in their stomach before they train, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, especially once your glycogen source... Start oh, yeah, to get depleted. I'm not, I will not be training fasted. I think that's a crummy idea. Yeah, some personally. people some people do do that. Uh, if you like it, that's cool, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, same here. So admittedly, I've been so focused on powerlifting and, you know, learning, learning that style of training and being fully engulfed in the experience that I haven't paid super close attention to your training strategies. Um, so what, I mean, where, where are you at now? Like what, what were you doing leading up to your prep to set yourself up and how are you training now and how will that be different than, than the way that you prepared for the last contest you did? Mm -hmm. I don't want to say the training is completely different than what it was. Um, but I do like the way that it's structured better now, um, and what are what I'm doing now? It's basically everything is planned out. Before I go to the gym, I know exactly 
Um, obviously I know the exercises I'm doing, how many reps, sets, what weight I'm going to use for every single exercise, not just my big compounds. And I think that this is kind of a problem with the uh, power building community is that they get too focused on the compound movements. Um, where if you are a bodybuilder, the accessory work, meaning not squat benching and deadlifting, the accessory work for a bodybuilder is just as important as the power lifts or the big compound movements. So you have to give them the same attention that you give to the big movements. So I am still doing the big movements. Um, unfortunately, when I broke my ankle or sprained my ankle, I had to take obviously squatting out for a while. And while I am able to squat right now, I do have a shoulder injury from being on crutches that are preventing me from being able to barbell back squat. So I've started hack squatting. But aside from that change, now my big movements are hack squatting, sumo deadlifting, bench pressing, um, pendle rows, dumbbell bench pressing, and because my shoulder's injured, I'm doing this weird neutral grip shoulder press, um, which seems to be working and is pretty pain-free, but it's not ideal. Mm. Um, and outside of that, I mean, I spend a lot of time doing pull-downs and pull-down variations and cable rows and tons and tons and tons of side lateral raises, uh, leg extensions, leg curls, but every single rep is planned out and recorded every single rep. Um, I don't wing it with bicep curl. Like even something as, as silly or trivial seeming as bicep curls are programmed down to the rep. Um, so yeah, everything is progressive. So everything, all of my, my volume starts high in an eight week training block and volume tapers off over the course of eight weeks while intensity goes up over the eight weeks, then there's usually some kind of testing of those big lifts at the end of eight weeks. Um, whereas my accessory lifts, like the pull downs, the side lateral raises, um, pullovers, bicep curls, leg extensions, all that stuff, that seems to progress much more linearly. Um, and I do deload every fourth week, like religion. So three weeks of hard training, one week of deloading. And that has helped definitely to keep fatigue at bay and also to make training progress uh, a bit more predictable. I'm sure that'll be less so as now I'm in a deficit, but it'll probably, I'll, I think I'm gonna be able to continue to make progress for at least the next several weeks. And then hopefully again, once we have that three week diet break, it'll kind of spike back up again. Um, but yeah, training is, training has become just as if not more important than nutrition in terms of bodybuilding goals. And I think most bodybuilders focus on nutrition almost exclusively. Uh, I know I did for years and I'm coming to realize that training might even be a more important stimulus in terms of overall bodybuilding success. Well, I think as a, as a newbie, um, or even a, a novice slash intermediate to bodybuilding, it is important to be almost kind of fixated on nutrition because you have to learn how to use it. You have to learn how to, how to adhere to a nutrition plan. 
And but once you have that control nailed and down pat, um, it becomes less of something that is important for application purposes uh, as a stimulus and more important as just a tool that you know how to use with perfection. So, you know, you take your nutrition, you learn how to use it with perfection, like you learn how to basically stick to your nutrition plan. But then that's sort of that's almost like an end game with it as, as like as far as its potential is concerned. Like you can mess around with it a little bit, but the training I think is where the money's at, where you can really just continue to tweak it and uh, and find out what does and doesn't work. The thing I'm curious, I mean, at least that's my opinion as of now. Um, the thing I'm curious about, I mean, there's obvious advantages to having your poundages or kilos pre-planned into a program. It's sort of it motivates you and, and makes sure to keep you on your toes to be progressively overloading on volume and, and when you're tapering off to be making sure that you're reaching your potential with intensity. That being said, you know, we, as much as we aim to be in machines 99% of the time during prep, there are going to be times where we're not. Um, I mean, how do you feel about when you're going into the gym and you have these numbers in front and you're like, there's just no fucking way in the world I'm going to be hitting these numbers. Like, what do you do in a situation like that? Uh, well, I would say that it it rarely happens for me just mm. because of the way my training is set out. Like I'm not hitting 90% intensity until the final week of a training block. So if it's an eight-week or a 12-week training block, I'm only at that point for a week. Everything else below that starts much lower than that um, and builds up to that over time and if that is to happen so like with the ankle injury even coming back from it it has happened a lot uh, where I go in and I'm like all right that's what I'm supposed to do but there's no way I'm going to be able to get close to that um, so I just do the best that I can and I record it always always record it and adjust going forward um, and I do use an RPE scale for injuries like coming back and squatting we did not assign weights for squats. It was just like do three sets of five at a nine um, and working up to whatever felt like a nine. Um, but I am not super awesome at guessing, engaging RPE. So it's not a tool that I use constantly. Like I do always try to guess like how many more I had left in the tank roughly. So I guess that is, well, it's reps in reserve, but basically it's RPE backwards. Um, so, yeah, I do occasionally use it, but for the most part, uh, if it becomes an issue, we'll figure it out. But so far, it's not one. I mean, the other thing with RPE is that the higher the rep ranges go and the lower the intensity, the harder it is for everyone to gauge, which is right. why it's kind of a more useful tool for a power building and or power lifting style of training, and it can be problematic with bodybuilding style training. I, but I suck at it even in the powerlifting <laughs> range. Even in the one to three, okay. like a one to five rep range, right. if you're like, what was that? I'll be like, I don't know, maybe an eight. In fact, I think it's easier for myself to gauge when I only have a couple reps left in like a 15 rep range. So I could be like, maybe <laughs> I could get 20. Um, okay. But like, if it's like up near a one rep max, I have no idea. I'm like, Why? Because I don't know. Could I get a second one? I don't know. <laughs> if I'm if I try it, I'm gonna die. <laughs> oh god, you're killing me. Um, this is why I'm not a powerlifter, guys. 
I, I suppose, but I've seen your strength and I, I feel like you display it and, and uh, it would be something to be proud of um, if you ever yeah, went no. that route. Oh, okay. I right. choke. We're not, we're not, we're not, there. We're not <laughs> there. We're not there. Right now, we're bodybuilding. Bodybuilding mm-hmm. focus. So, um, yeah, so that strategy, you know, it definitely, it definitely sounds like it's, uh, it's, um, it's a systematic approach, but Very. it also, you know, it also makes sure that you get your job done and, um, and there's room for, for variability um, you know, even, even on the day. So, I mean, I guess the one thing I was thinking about, you said you can adjust going forward. So like you have these pre-programmed numbers. So like if that happened, if I was consistently not coming close to Mm -hmm. hitting something, I would literally say to Alberto, like, this is my second or third week in a row that I haven't been able to get the prescribed numbers. Mm -hmm. Can we like lower the percentage on these because it's just not happening. Gotcha. And, uh, he would, I'm sure he would, or he'd find a way to change it. And this is like, Probably, I mean, it's definitely the most confident I've ever been in a coach that I have worked with before. So I would have no problem just being like, hey, I can't do this. And mm-hmm. trusting that whatever we changed it to would work um, or be effective, I guess. Um, and in terms of the accessory exercise selection, you know, that can change up pretty frequently. And I have confidence in myself to be able to change that on the spot if I had to and have that be effective as well so and you have that kind of rapport with your coach where you're both comfortable with you auto-regulating um and saying hey these percentages need to be changed mm-hmm. and it's like this is the right move and and hey these exercise selections felt better right now and that's cool too so mm-hmm. it's like things are programmed yeah. like big big picture style um but the finer details can be you know can be dialed in Um, Yeah, and that's the beauty of personalized coaching. That's the difference between paying somebody a couple hundred bucks a month to coach you and actually know you and learn you and just downloading a program off the internet or like getting a program off bodybuilding.com. It is, for for a new lifter, for a new lifter, you can just download something off bodybuilding.com and just do it and be consistent with it. For an intermediate lifter and up, I think that personalized coaching is absolutely invaluable. Um, and this experience, uh, from my own perspective as the client in this client-coach relationship, um, just further solidifies that. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like everybody has body parts that are going to respond faster, mm-hmm. um, body parts that are going to respond slower, or like not respond at all until some crazy tweaks are made over the course of like a long period of time. Like you take me, for example, I haven't had, I haven't been able to get my bench press up at all from where it's at in like two years. And we've, we're throwing the book at it. Like eventually it's going to go up, but like you have to keep trying to do different things. I could, I could try every, I could try like every template in the book. It's there's, you have to know yourself as an individual and it definitely helps. I agree to have someone um, get to know you um, and figure out, you know, what, what the next move is through trial and error. Uh, so I think that pretty much covers everything about this competition prep so far. We'll probably touch base about this again. Uh, I don't know, in the early summer or so when thing, when maybe I'm singing a completely different (laughs) tune, um, and just like praying for macros. Uh, but yeah, uh, in the meantime, I am trying really, really hard, especially in light of the vegan protein store closing with more time to devote to social media. Like we're both trying to light our social medias back up again. And for me, um, this involves showcasing this prep, um, in as much of a step-by-step fashion as I can, 
uh, without just showing pictures of my naked ass every day on Instagram. Yes, which, so you know, some people are into that. Mm. And I've had, no. I posted a progress picture and I put like a sticker over my butt because I was like in my underwear and I didn't want to show the whole world my butt. And someone commented like, why the sticker over your butt? Girls post pictures of their butt on Instagram all the time. And I was just like, and I'm not one of those girls that posts their butt on Instagram all the time. Uh, yeah. So... So, I saw that response. So you're yeah. like, I'm not that type of girl. It made me really happy. I'm like, yeah, you tell them. You tell them what's hey, up. Hey, if you if that's what you want to do, you go ahead and do it. It's just not. It's, it's just not, not an expectation. I, it's just that's for sure. Not how <laughs> I plan on broadcasting my prep to the world via my ass. So <laughs> um, yeah, I'm much more into the education component of things. So uh, yeah, I'll be sharing things in my stories and in my posts over there. Yeah, and you know, and be and being that we're both looking to light up our social media and, and connect more and really share our experiences with you, you know, maybe the the next episode, I think I'll I'll fill you guys in on what I've been up to and what my um, competitive uh, plans are for this year and stuff. But um, for now, uh, yeah, I I think it's it's really exciting to uh, to be for me at least. I'm very excited. I'm very very excited to not be prepping, in the sense that I get to watch your prep and actually be able to think about it instead of just trying to get to my own. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to be very rewarding to yeah. me on a personal level. So I'll be sharing with the community and, and rooting you on. Woohoo! And taking out the trash for me when I don't have the energy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Oh, all right. Moving on to our product review segment for today's podcast, I'd like to tell you guys about A7 shirts. I, I can't explain to you um, how life-changing uh, this this apparel brand has been for me. Um, I was interested at first when I when I saw when I saw them, and basically the idea is so you you know how like on say like football gloves they have silicone on the hands so that when you grab the football. Uh, there's there's a grip on it and you hold on to it. And for those of you who are not football players, just just picture like a tacky material on the back of a shirt. Um, so the silicone that they put on it actually makes it so that wherever, you know, if you have a barbell on your back, um, it's going to stay on your back better. If you are digging your, your back onto a, a bench to say bench press and you want to keep your arch, the tackiness on the back of the shirt is going to help you adhere to the bench better. Now, with the proper equipment, at like say uh, a powerlifting style gym or just a high-end gym that just has modern equipment, um, it's not really as much of a big deal. You know, with, with good barbells, there's going to be good grip on them already. With good benches, the benches are going to be tacky and they're going to be wide enough for you to really dig your, your traps in. But for say like most gyms out, you know, me, I only have access to a commercial gym. The benches are very narrow. They're not tacky. The barbells are worn out and dull and old. They don't really have much, you know, the, the nearling, the teeth on the, the barbells. It's just, they're all worn out. So I get the bar slips on my back, especially in the summer when I started to sweat. Forget it. Same thing with the bench. When I wear these shirts, I, I, feel, like, I feel like a training god. Like, I, I can't stress that enough, just how awesome it is knowing that no matter what the conditions are, no matter how shitty the barbells are, no matter how shitty the benches are, um, by wearing one of these shirts, I can make sure the bar stays on my back and I can make sure that my back stays on the bench. And for that, 
it's like I um, I almost I pretty much refuse at this point, at least in my commercial style gym, to train anything but an A7 shirt. Um, and I, I think the website is a7.com, I believe. Um, but I highly recommend checking them out, especially if you train in a commercial gym and you're doing uh, compound movements. Um, they have been invaluable to me. Moving on to our Q&A segment of this episode, we actually just got a question on my Instagram direct messages from Natalie Matthews, who I mentioned earlier in this episode before I even saw she sent me a message. And uh, she asked, what's your favorite skin prep routine for tanning? Um, so this is actually a really good question because a lot of the tanning products and skin prep things aren't vegan. So I will tell you what I do to prep my skin. So I know that there are some products out there that are vegan, like liquid sun rays. I think, I think all of their products are vegan, um, but I don't really use their skin prep stuff. What I do is I get a vegan body wash. So in the past I've used like kiss my face. I currently have an Alba one and I take that and then I mix baking soda into it until it becomes like a paste, kind of a gooey paste. And I would say about two weeks out from the competition, I start to scrub myself with that every night. And what that does is it really balances the pH of the skin. And this is very, very, very important for getting a spray tan because if your pH is kind of off, you can turn green or you can turn pink or you can turn copper or kind of a grayish color. Um, and I've seen this happen a lot. Um, it did happen to me one time, even doing this, I still kind of turned green. Not really sure what that was about. Luckily they were able to fix it. But, um, so you want to balance your pH as much as you can. I also use a pair of exfoliating gloves that are, um, like moderately abrasive and I scrub myself scrub that um, mixture into my skin really really well especially hitting my elbows my knees my ankles um, my toes my fingers anywhere that tends to get like dry or like ashy because the drier your skin is the more tan is going to absorb there so you want to make sure you get as much dead skin off those areas as possible or you're going to have really dark patches and then when I get out of the shower, I just slather myself in coconut oil. Um, my dog loves it. He licks my ankles every single night. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is, that's pretty much my whole skin prep routine. And then even though they say you're not supposed to shave for at least 24 hours before you get your spray tan, I always do it literally as close to my appointment as humanly possible because I... I'm a very hairy person and I grow thick black hair very, very quickly. So yeah, right before I get my tan, I do the baking soda scrub, shave, then make sure I have no soap left on my body and then go down and get the spray tan. Um, I would love to learn how to do the spray tans myself. And actually we are so lucky to live literally not in the same part of the country, but in the same town as what I believe to be the best spray tanner in the entire country, 
having competed in many pockets of the country, I've never seen a spray tanner like her. It is Mary Beth Schlitt of Elite Bronzing in Haverhill, Mass. She uses Liquid Sunrays Black, which is a vegan um, formula, and she's just like a goddess when it comes to spray tanning people. So I've never had to worry about doing my own tan here. And then I go to other parts of the country and I realize that I would be better off probably doing it myself. Um, so that's something that hopefully we'll be learning this year and we'll probably venture out into that a bit. Um, and I've seen some other really, what look like really great tanning products, not for shows, but just for like maybe photo shoots, loving mm -hmm. tan. Um, supposedly makes a fantastic vegan self tanner. Um, and then I might look into some of the liquid sun rays self tanner stuff as well. See if I can get pretty good at it. You usually need a second person and that's where it gets tricky. Right, mm. Giacomo? Oh yeah, I'm a pro at it. <laughs> Count on me. Uh, but for the skin prep itself, I just use a regular non-moisturizing, just a regular like soap based vegan body wash and baking soda and slather up with coconut oil. How many days in advance? I start two weeks in advance. Two weeks. Yeah, like between 10 and 14 days Okay. in advance. But if you don't start by like one week out, you might be in trouble. You're going to mm. have to do like a super exfoliating job from mm. there on out. Gotcha. So hopefully that answers your question, Natalie. I've seen you do your tan by yourself at one show and it came out beautifully. So you've given me the confidence to try it myself as well. Okay, so we have another question here. It says, for the purposes of keeping favorable nutrient partitioning ratios, how do you guys determine when you are approaching 15% body fat or more for men, since many measurement methods are so wildly inaccurate? I feel as though I may be approaching the high end, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, you know, I feel like trying to nail down an exact percentage of body fat is just setting yourself up for um, failure. I mean, I feel like you have to you have to kind of give yourself a little bit of a range and just know what your body looks like in, say, an athletic body fat range, you know, like a 10 to 15% and know when you're on the higher end or lower end, which is, I guess, the range that you're looking at. So we use that as an example. Um, and then as far as um, measuring it, uh, you know, if you're not going by sight, it's, you know, there, there is some level of inaccuracy with every single measurement out there, even, even with, you know, what someone could, some, with what some would consider the gold standard, like, say, a DEXA body scan, um, which, you know, measures your bone density through an x-ray machine, um, and it separates the bone and the water and the muscle and then just breaks it down for you and tells you what your body composition is. Even with that, you know, they're using, uh, they're not using your actual bones to, to, to weight it against. They're using like a model's bones. So you could see like there's like no perfect way to go about it. But my suggestion is to basically pick a method and stick with it. And DEXA scans are kind of pricey. <laughs> so I would, I would stick to doing something at home. Um, using calipers can be very advantageous. Um, the issue with that is that if you're going to do it, you need to pay attention to how you're doing your pinches. So for those of you that don't already know, a caliper is basically, um, just a little tiny, um, what would you call it, Danny? Like a... It's like a piece of plastic. It's a pinching tool. It's a pinching tool. It's a piece of plastic pinching tool. And basically, 
um, you pinch your body in certain areas, but you have to make sure that you're pinching the exact same way every single time, and you you basically pull, you know, pull your skin and you separate your your muscle from your fat, and then you just measure the uh, the measurement in that area, and then over time you'll see the measurement change, and that's how you can measure the changes. And that doesn't really answer your question, but that's sort of how you can gauge if your body fat is increasing or decreasing. As far as like the exact amount. I think that's just something that you know you you'll learn how to develop the skill over time and to do it by sight. You know, um, while while there are typical ways that you know men male male and females hold their body fat, it's not it's you know it's typical, but like there are atypicals. Like me, for example, I hold most of my fat in my glutes, for example, which is not normal for a male. Um, you know, whereas I don't hold much in my, my belly, which most men would. So you can't really go by like, oh, you know, I, I'm showing, I have abs right now or I don't and say this is what your body fat is like. Know your body, know how your body stores fat and sort of look at it and just feel like, okay, I'm sort of within that range now and now I can, I can change things. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and veganproteins.com. The usernames are Vegan Proteins and Muscles by Brussels. Uh, yeah, feel free to let us know what you want to hear about or if you have any questions or feedback. And hopefully you'll hear from us in the very near future. Thanks again, guys. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon.